Oh, well, what a surprise. Mr. Gold, and who's this with you? Well, this lovely lady is my assistant, Miss Ami Kawai. She's quieter than a church mouse on Sunday evening, but I assure you, Mr. Machand, her tongue packs quite a sting. Yeah, and I'm sure you're well acquainted with her tongue. What was that, Mr. Machan? Oh, uh, nothing. Uh, nothing. No. Mm-hmm. Well, you and your intrepid producer will be happy to know we've brought you some hot beverages to give you a much-needed pick-me-up for today's broadcast. None of that crude oil in the break room that you guys call coffee. No, 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 sir. This is the finest nectar enjoyed by myself, Mr. Winter, and the rest of the board. Uh, thanks, but I don't drink coffee. You know, I was a little bit surprised a writer such as yourself does not drink coffee. But we heard you love yourself a hot cup of chocolate, so we took the liberty of bringing you a thermos full of the best ground cocoa beans in the world. Uh, well, okay. Thanks. But what's the occasion? Well, Nate, Mr. Winter and the team have been really impressed with your work as of late. Seems as though you've been really burning it down behind the mic. Thank you, sir. It's definitely been a nice change of pace, having some actual positive reinforcement around here at KIJU. Jimmy and I have really been taking my first conversation with you to heart. Oh, shove it, Jimmy! I'm just expressing a little gratitude. You should try it sometime. What in the name of Adam West makes you think I'm Robin in this situation? <laughs> now, gentlemen, now, gentlemen, there's no need to get your panties in a twist. You're both very vital to the success of this show. We've got big plans for KIJU, especially you, Nate. To paraphrase a childhood idol of mine, stick with us and we will make you into a limousine riding, jet flying, kiss stealing, wheeling, dealing. Uh, mother trucker! That's the spirit, Nate. Uh, uh, no, 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 no. It, sorry, sir. I just got a text from Alyssa Goji Geek. We were supposed to pick her up at the harbor half an hour ago. We gotta go, Jimmy. Sorry, Mr. Gold. I'm sure we can finish the pep talk some other time. Sure thing. What on Godzilla's green earth do you need that for? We're just going to the dock and then back here to the studio. <sighs> that you'd rather not talk about. Okay, fine. But we have to hurry. You know that Ma-Chan is a good kid with an even better head on his shoulders. Shame, really. But business is business is business. Now, Miss Kawhi, what say you and I mosey on over to get ourselves a bite to eat? From what I hear, the kitchen just got a fresh shipment of USDA Prime, and I am starving. As my granddaddy used to say, if it ain't mooing, I ain't chewing. Let's go, darling. Yes. Live from the KIJU studios in beautiful Ogasawara, 
This is the Monster Island Film Vault, episode 63, King Kong vs. Godzilla, featuring Alyssa Goji Geek. Hello, kaiju lovers, and welcome to the Monster Island Film Vault, a podcast seeking entertainment and enlightenment through tokusatsu. I am your host, Monster Island's film curator, Nate Marchand, and today, Godzilla Redux marches on. Yes, Jimmy, I know. We have kind of covered this already back in season one with The Conquest. But, but at that point, I was skipping over this particular film because I had already covered it in my previous podcast life and I didn't want to repeat myself. Well, Times have changed, things have changed, and as I've learned, Godzilla is good for business. So, we're going to actually do a proper episode about this, but in place of that, back during Season 1, I had my friend John LeMay on to talk about a couple of unmade films related to King Kong vs. Godzilla. I will leave a link to that episode in the show notes. Feel free to go check that out. Today, however, we have... A new first-time guest here on The Film Vault, and I am delighted to have her on here. We have YouTuber, author, musician, and Navy sailor, Alyssa Goji Geek. How's it going, Alyssa? It's pretty fantastic over here, the land of the rising sun. Thanks for having me here. <laughs> well, you've, you're well-versed in this, actually. You didn't have to come very far because you are serving the U.S. Navy here in Japan. And I am that makes me very excited. I come from a military family. Thank you for your service. So, yeah. <laughs> Well, thank you for featuring me. It's great to take inventory of all these monsters. You know, somebody's got to do it. Why not be me? I'm yes. already a fan of them. Yeah. Yes. Uh, we're all fans here. I just <laughs> That's very true. Ah, <laughs> uh, see, Jimmy's very grateful for your service as well. He's an Air Force man, so. Oh, well, thank you, Jimmy. I hope you like sailors, too. We sail the ocean blue. <laughs> Thank you, Jimmy. It's very kind of you. Yes, yes. Although, uh, I will warn you, Alyssa, sometimes uh, Jimmy gets a little bit flirty with the guests, so you might have to put him in his place a little bit on occasion, just in case. Oh, don't you worry. I'm already ready for that. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> You're always ready. That's yes. the Navy motto. Yes. <laughs> you, are, you might be a tiny woman, but no one should mess with you, right? <laughs> hey, have you seen Beverly Hills Chihuahua, Jimmy? Tiny, but mighty. Wow. Oh, you got to get a better taste in movies there, pal. Oh, Not that that's a very good movie, but dang it, tiny but mighty. <laughs> tiny but mighty. Uh, th th you need that on a t-shirt. So <laughs> I do. <laughs> so are you are you here on, you know, kind of special assignment from the Navy to take inventory of the kaiju? I mean, what brings you here today besides being on the show? Well, you see, I noticed there was a trail of pollution leading out, and oh, no. I had to follow it because, well, I'm sure you can guess where my mind went. <gasps> Hedora. Oh, no. Yeah, him. And, <laughs> and it appears that my investigation was correct. He is serving as the sewer system out here. Oh, Good he Lord. is. That only makes sense. 
<laughs> Somebody's got to keep this place clean. Unfortunately, he also produces as much as he consumes. Yeah, this is true. We have to. Yeah, he leaves a lot of messes that need cleaned up around here. <laughs> Very but true. he's also a, he's actually become a bit more of a popular attraction the last couple of years here on the island. It's kind of funny how that works out. <laughs> well, you see, trends are, well, they're a bit circular. They come yes. around and they come and go and they leave and they return just yeah. like that 90s clothing. <laughs> The 90s nostalgia, it always comes back to haunt you. Uh, everything. It's just, it's like all the past decades just come back every couple of years. It's just funny how that works. But as much as I know you would love to sit here and talk about Adora uh, and Godzilla versus Adora, <laughs> Smog Monster, whatever you want to call it, because I know it's one of your favorites, if not your, I think it actually is just plain your favorite Godzilla film. That is factual. Yes. So, as much as we, uh, as much as that would be fun, that's not today's episode. Today, we are talking about King Kong versus Godzilla, mostly because I just wanted an excuse to have you on the show because you're such a delightful person. Wow, thank you. <laughs> so, King Kong versus Godzilla. <laughs> would you like to give us a quick little plot synopsis of this film? Why, certainly. I am a writer. I love synopses. <laughs> <laughs> it is my blood. <laughs> so, Mr. Taco, a very competent man, not, <laughs> wants to boost his ratings for the Pacific Pharmaceuticals Company. And what better way to do that than to go kidnap a giant monster from a faraway island? And that's exactly what he sends two men out to do. And well, it doesn't go very well because when Godzilla hatches from an iceberg, the two monsters, the one from the island and Godzilla, duke it out in Japan. And of course, there's an all-out rumble included with a lot of vegetables eating and a lot of senseless destruction. <laughs> Which ends in a very interesting ending. Who is the true winner? By the way, uh, listeners, I hope you enjoyed the background music that just played during that because that was made by Miss Sharpentier here as well. So. Well, thank you. See, I like to get as close to my work as I can. Sometimes that's imitation through art. <laughs> I don't we all do that in one form or another? It's very true. Shut up, Jimmy. Anyway. <laughs> I don't appreciate your lip. <laughs> okay, fine. It's part of your job. I get it. Anyway, moving <laughs> on. <laughs> so... It's hard to decide. It's hard for me to decide where to start with this. The origins of this film alone are the like the stuff of infamy. <laughs> I, in fact, I read someplace one guy actually said that the the origins of this movie could be its own movie because they're that wild. And <laughs> so I will once again. That's defer, always good. Yeah, I will once again defer to. My previous episode with John about that, because we do get into the origins of this film. Go listen to that if you want to know what led to this. But good Lord, is it dramatic and a little bit tragic at points, too, <laughs> admittedly. But it's just one of those things. I'm trying to decide where 
oh, you know, what's a good place to start here with this? I, I guess one thing I would I kind of like to talk about with this, because this, to nobody's surprise, this even now remains the highest grossing Godzilla film of the entire series. That's pretty incredible. Yeah, which it's no surprise because King Kong. King Kong, <laughs> right. King Kong, the OG, you know. because It's funny for us to think nowadays that at this time, Kong was the was big man on campus when it came to giant monsters and Godzilla Nowadays. and I'm stealing this joke Godzilla was the nuclear kid on the block <laughs> <laughs> yeah. that, so that he was, was a, he was the not bomb the, drop of a joke there yeah, yeah. well like I said it's not original to me <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so he was not the big draw hence why King Kong gets top billing <laughs> <laughs> so yeah but but now but it was because of this film of large but because of this film that godzilla did get catapulted to international stardom so i look at this and i think toho kind of beat hollywood to three different trends with just with this movie and one would be you know nostalgia so kong was very nostalgic <laughs> very for, profitable for yeah for in both <laughs> The, in both Japan and the U.S., because this was a pretty good hit in in the U.S. as well, which, full disclosure, I should let everybody know, it's because there are two different cuts of this movie, and there are very different cuts of this movie, in order to give you full co a, a full comprehensive coverage of this, Kaiju lovers, I watched the Japanese cut, and Alyssa here watched the U.S. cut, so we can kind of compare and contrast a little bit talking about this. True. Yeah. So you had that. So the nostalgia definitely helped in this. <laughs> it uh, always you, does. <laughs> you might even be able to say that you know that as has become popular the last few years that you know there were definitely some member berries thrown in there, especially on the King Kong side of things because this was very Kong thirty three. <laughs> <laughs> at that point. In fact, there's even some reports saying that Fuminori Ohashi was the man who designed the Kong suit. Oh boy, that <laughs> Kong suit. <laughs> uh, something else, sorry. Yeah. Uh, although some reports say that that's not the case. Oh, my friend John LeMay says in his books that's probably not the case. But if it is, that's interesting because I don't know if you knew this, Alyssa. Did you know that in the 1930s, there were two unofficial Japanese made Kong movies? I did not know that. Yes, they are now. Unfortunately, you learned me something. Yeah, it, um, they are unfortunately lost now, like most oh. Japanese films pre-World War II, because they were <laughs> largely destroyed during the war. But there's you know, there's still some records of it, and there's a few production stills and all of that. And and one of them, I, it was uh, King Kong goes to Edo or something like that. I've talked about this before in a in, in some other podcasts. And the, uh, Fuminori Ohashi designed the Kong suit in that movie. So okay, you know if that's the case, that what where'd the, where'd the beep come from? Who led Goji Kun and Bro Kong in here again? Jimmy, you're dropping the ball. Yeah, okay, fine. Ultramite is still distracted by Serena. We get it. Yeah, he's shirking his responsibility. But yeah. Anyway, so uh, so there's that. But you know, since I've mentioned the Kong suit, we'll talk about this Kong suit a little bit. It's kind of infamous, to be honest. 
most infamously not beautiful. Yeah, that's okay. So is the Godzilla suit in this movie. Actually, the favorite. Godzilla suit get in this gets a lot more love than that Kong suit. <laughs> and wrongfully so, in my greater than thou opinion. <laughs> ooh, ooh, yeah, okay, we'll talk about the suits here really quick. We'll talk about the suits. So let's get the let's get the kaiju out of the room. So we'll deal the Kong suit. This thing looks kind of terrible. Uh, it's not the best Kong has looked. I have even <laughs> seen some hardcore Kong fans who just flat out hate this. The fact that these Japanese, this and King Kong escapes, which I've covered in a previous episode, the fact that they even exist. A lot of Kong fans just, I think they almost find offensive <laughs> because they think these Japanese <laughs> films is the, the eighth wonders low point. And I could understand when you have a movie like the original King Kong that is just so it's about as close to perfect as you could get anything else after that is anything else completely yeah. <laughs> drops off the mark. It's like the, I wouldn't call it the one hit wonder, but maybe like the, the magnum opus. So how can anything else ever compare? Yeah. Good luck with that. Trust me. Having watched every single other King Kong official, I should say, <laughs> there's a lot of unofficial King Kong movies. <laughs> Well, having watched all of the official Kong movies, yeah, ha good luck trying to uh, trying to equal that original film. <laughs> Peter Jackson tried really hard, but you know, but all of that to say, I, I can understand that, and it's kind of ironic because A.G. Subaraya got into special effects grow by when he was growing up. Because of the original King Kong, he even had his own print of the movie, and he nice. would show it to people like Haruo Nakajima. When, and when he said, "Like you're learning how to suit act, watch this," you know, things like that. So he loved King Kong. So the fact that he got to make his own King Kong movie, <laughs> I mean, he's nerding out like crazy at that point. Oh, for sure. And I can't blame him. I mean. We would all just be, you know, just be elated if we got to actually work on something involving one of the things that we grew up loving. For sure. That's how I feel about the um, Godzilla book. I'm wanting to get out there someday, maybe even officially. Mm -hmm. shall oh, see. I, I can't wait to hear more about that. But so that's why it's kind of ironic that you know, that this Kong suit doesn't look that good. But I think. Honestly, I think that also goes back to the fact that I don't know what it is. I feel like trying to apparently making reptiles and dinosaurs and insects. That's relatively easy to do. But as soon as you get into mammals, <laughs> especially apes, it suddenly uh, it, it, with suitmation, it suddenly gets harder. <laughs> We're complex beings, us mammals. <laughs> yes, we are. E even to reconstruct in suits. <laughs> Although King Caesar turned out pretty well. <laughs> so, and he's a dog and a cat. So, <laughs> but you know, all, although he's also a statue. So, <laughs> yeah, so there's that to consider as well. But yeah. So, and I read different sources about what they said the thing was made of. I read some that said it was covered in dog fur, which for some people is a little bit of a horrifying concept. Ooh, yeah, that's scary. <laughs> and others said that it was covered in quote unquote rare yak fur. Ooh. Okay. That's also scary. Yeah. 
<laughs> and it does not look good when wet. <laughs> I noticed that. Because uh, this in the movie, can like swim. In, the, in the scene when he when he first gets up from the raft and after he's fallen off, he, he looks so weird. <laughs> Very distorted and can creep me out. It's like, yeah. what is this thing? <laughs> I couldn't take. I couldn't look away. I couldn't take my eyes away. It was just so mesmerizingly freaky. Yes. <laughs> it's like, what is this thing? Yes. Is this the dog that was went swimming? <laughs> yeah, it does, he does look a bit like a wet dog, doesn't he? <laughs> something. Uh, I don't know yeah, what that something. was. <laughs> uh, and let me tell you, the the suit in King Kong Escapes doesn't fare much better. <laughs> Oh, geez. Basically, Kong, <laughs> when you come to Japan, don't get wet. You look awful. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, so there's that. And it, what's funny is I, I forget which of the crew members said this, but there was one of them I saw was quoted as saying, you want to know why the Kong suit and some of the rest of the special effects didn't look as good? Is because King Kong ate up all the money. <laughs> <laughs> because Toho had to license Kong right. from RKO. And that would definitely take a chunk out of your budget. Yeah. And a they kaiju sized chunk. Uh-huh. And they charged them two hundred and twenty thousand dollars. <laughs> It's probably a lot back in the day. It's oh, it was. <laughs> it was. <laughs> back then. Yeah. Yeah. I don't even want to think about what that would be with how inflation is now, but <laughs> But yes, $220,000, but they got the rights to use Kong for five years. And they kind of forgot about that until right before Ooh. it expired. <laughs> they They're tried like, a couple of other times. Movies. They tried a couple other times, but the those movies never went through. And then suddenly they're like, oh, crap, this license is expiring this year. Make another Kong movie. <laughs> nice. And then we got King Kong Escapes with uh, Doctor Who. Uh, <clears throat> I don't know where that came from. Sorry. <clears throat> <laughs> and Linda Jo Miller. Yeah. yeah yes. Who is a, a lovely woman, I might add. I've had the, the privilege of speaking with her a little bit. But yeah, anyway. She, she's very sweet. Yes. Yes. So... We have that poor, poor Kong suit, and uh, uh, we'll get to the characterization of Kong in a little bit. But uh, you're you, apparently you were not a fan of the Godzilla suit. Not happy with oh, how your boy yes, looks a, in this. A, a monstrous topic of contention for many. <laughs> <laughs> you see, I like my Ziller looking like a, having the face of a cat or the face of a wolf, aka Heisei or later millennium oh. i do not like him looking like a yizzard he's not a yizzard he's a dinosaur he should look the part <laughs> so you i take it you are not a fan of the of the showa suits well see that's difficult because those look a little more i guess human and actually, I really enjoy Son of Godzilla's suit. Musko Goji is pretty awesome. You are one that. of the few people in the universe who appreciates that uh, Frogzilla, as I like to call him. <laughs> <laughs> well, I like him because he looks so weird. And it's just, it's it's one of those, it's kind of like when I saw Kong rising from the water. You just can't look away. It's just so strange it's so bizarre so i actually really like that suit because it's so weird <laughs> however with this one it just looks too much like a goofy iguana like maybe the joker 
You know, when he's like, you know how I got these scars? <laughs> he's got the, the cuts in his mouth. And like, and, and this Godzilla's mouth is just too wide. It just goes too far across. And he looks like a, a grinning lizard <laughs> jester or something. He looks scared. <laughs> I'm not a fan. I, I suddenly want to meme that, and I, I want to get a picture of the uh, of this suit and put Joker makeup on it. Oh, somehow. you should do it. You should do it when um with <laughs> with the uh, eat your vegetables meme. <laughs> you know, I got. You know, well, I, I don't got know how scars. I got these scars. Kong told me to put a smile on my face. <laughs> Kong is well. You know what? When I covered Skull Island, I was saying back then, King Kong is Batman. <laughs> At right? least in that in the MonsterVerse, he is Batman. So there, you the have, story is coming together. It is like, all like, coming just together. like any book, the plot, all the plot elements come together suddenly. There you go. <laughs> King Ugoji is the Joker. <laughs> At least oh, he looks yikes. happy. He looks happy. He's happy to be smashing things. <laughs> Got out of Especially that iceberg. Especially when he dances finally. around. <laughs> you know, that was that was actually the first time that that had happened in the series. They started mm. uh, going more uh, for the anthropomorphisms in this, and <laughs> Honda didn't like that. <laughs> yeah, he was not a huge fan of that. He was very much against it. But Honda was a good company man, so he's like, okay, this is. This is how we're doing it. So this is what we're doing. But, you know, Eiji Tsuburaya, totally behind it. The screenwriter, Shinichi Sekizawa, one of the great unsung heroes of old school tokusatsu. <laughs> I will say that to the day I die. Him and Takeshi Kimura, two screenwriters. He was behind it, too. In fact, you know, and we'll get into that in a little bit because what's kind of interesting about this is that especially if you watch the Japanese version, it gets lost in the in the US cut. But this is actually a satire. <laughs> this movie. Right. It is a satire right. of commercialism. And there's a reason for that, which we'll talk a little about a little bit later. So the fact that Kong and Godzilla, when they meet, are suddenly like pro wrestlers. <laughs> <laughs> let me tell you something kong <laughs> let me let me show you let me show you the ground from a new perspective in it <laughs> well that's why the fight choreography in this case like if you look at say godzilla raids again where that fights the first kaiju fight maybe even well no not ever but the first one in a godzilla film that's very brutal and animalistic and this one it's like I said, full tilt WrestleMania, <laughs> brother. It's very, yes, very, very human. All dignity gone. We are rolling on the ground, literally down a hill. With intentional sumo wrestling parodies and everything, because like they run up and they grapple each other and they try to throw each other around. And <laughs> oh yeah, it's a very dynamic fight. It's I, I enjoy the um, the just the sheer IDGAF about it all. You know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is true and it's got several iconic moments one we've already referenced the one that gets memed all the time as it should in fact there's even a a very nice homage to it in godzilla versus kong not to be confused with king kong versus godzilla you follow <laughs> got it right 
Anyway, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> where uh, Kong, as you would expect, uproots a tree and tells Godzilla to eat his vegetables. <laughs> it's, right. Stuffs it down his throat, which actually makes some sort of a sense because he's like, well, this thing breathes fire. <laughs> so if I stick this what? down his mouth, he can't breathe they fire. He can't do anymore. it anymore. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's actually a weirdly funny scene <laughs> when you watch it. It's like just stuffing it down his throat. And it's so it's so it's so aggressive. It's like, <laughs> man, he's he's really racing against the clock. You can feel his yeah. terror. Yeah, which I mean that's how Kong is. And you know, there I've I've read some things that said that they feel like every version version of there was an actual essayist and i couldn't believe this like you've got to be kidding me dude i think you've got issues and i don't want a subscription (laughs) (laughs) where he basically said every version of kong after the original movie was an infantilized version of kong Uh. he didn't specifically cite the japanese films but i have a feeling that I, i when i read that i can see where he would probably make those connections with this because Kong in this is kind of a drunk. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> with the Soma berry juice, by the way, Soma for you lit From nuts. Brave out- New World. Yes, I was going to for you lit nuts out there. Brave New World. That is the name of the drug that they give out for free to people to keep the population happy Under and sedated. Control. <laughs> And they start. Yeah, I realized that. So after it was after I'd read Brave New World, I read that what last year, I think I was like, oh, yikes, that's scary. (laughs) (laughs) You got this dystopian thing because that um, that book came out in 1932. Mm -hmm. um, And wow, it gets a lot right today. (laughs) And uh, that and 1984 and one that people don't talk about quite as much, but they should. Being that hideous Fahrenheit. strength by no not well Fahrenheit yeah Fahrenheit's coming true as well so I'll make that four so you got Brave New World 1984 Fahrenheit 451 <laughs> oh, by, by Bradbury and then one that more people should talk about that hideous strength by C.S. Lewis that's coming true too <laughs> but anyway anyway trust me I know all about it because. You you should hear my stories about dealing with the board of directors here. I call them my Orwellian overlords for a reason. But anyway, so you know, so we have so Kong's kind of a drunk. He still kind of is. He uh, I've dealt with drunk Kong before. That's a story unto itself. <laughs> so yeah, you had to deal with him too, and you've got a drinking problem too, my friend. I'm just saying. But anyway, uh, so uh, it, but anyway, the the tree scene where and then Godzilla just shows that's a nice try, but you know the fire can belch it back up for me. Right, <laughs> leads to <laughs> one of my favorite, one from. of my personal favorite moments in the in the epic final battle where the flaming tree goes flying over and say what you want about the Kong suit, but it goes flying over and hits Kong in the chest, and he just kind of like. <sighs> Puffs up his chest a little bit. It's like, okay. <laughs> now it's real. <laughs> Crap just got real, lizard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's such a it's such a charming movie. Yeah. So it had always it had always been one of my least favorites, but when I rewatched it, it's like, you know, this is pretty fun. Yes. Especially Mr. Taco with his for little umbrella on the boat. <laughs> You know, he's a list little, he's being, he's being, 
you know, uh, and, prissy or whatever. Yeah, and well, can't stand and that, water. And that is in large part thanks to the actor. I, I'm going to look his name up here, but he was actually considered to be. You might, this might interest you. He was considered to be the Japanese Charlie Chaplin. Yeah, that's yeah. interesting. Ichiro Arishima. He was a he was a veteran actor. He did a lot of comedies. You know, he was known for salaryman comedies the, for Toho, or he was in the okay. quote, he was in the quote unquote young guy movies, which were directed by Jun Fukuda, who went on to mm. direct a handful of Godzilla films. And, okay. you know, there were these kind of like, you know, young people comedies. And he was, I think I read that he was playing the dad in those. Mm. So and you could definitely tell that that this is his bread and butter. He's got that manic comedic energy throughout the whole thing. And oh, for sure. <laughs> I, I just I love his reactions and things. Even the guy who dubs him, actually, I think. It actually really plays it pretty job. well. You know, he gets, he manages, he replicates the manic energy that is seen on screen. So honestly, in the dub version, I would actually say the guy who dubbed him did probably did the best job out of all of them because most of the comedy gets taken out in the U.S. cut, but the comedy from Mr. Taco, most of that actually get, is allowed. Well, not all of it. Not some of it gets taken out, but what they do leave in there is still pretty effective. You know, I still love the bit where he like freaks out and runs his hand through his hair, and he's like, "No more, no more, I'm no sick more. of Godzilla," <laughs> 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 which is not what's actually said in Japanese, but it's still embedded in my head as what he says. Oh yeah, it's it's a great quote. <laughs> It's one quote I'll never find myself saying. <laughs> Most of us won't. No. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> but uh, but that plays into you know the satire of the whole thing. But but there's more of actually of Mr. Taco in the Japanese version. There's a scene early on that gets cut from the U.S. version where he's berating one of his subordinates, and then he gets a phone call. <laughs> and he's so flustered from berating his subordinate that when he picks up the phone, he has the phone up upside down. <laughs> oh, <laughs> and he has to turn it around, and then he finds out that it's his boss. <laughs> that's a that's a, that's a great touch. <laughs> yeah, and uh, there's also points where when uh, there's another scene later where after he finds out that they've captured Kong, he's like throwing papers up in the air and cheering. And then he goes off, he slips away into the next room and then he comes out and he's got the, the safari gear on. <laughs> and everyone's just like, what the heck? <laughs> what are you doing, dude? <laughs> you yeah. doing? He's very much the Carl Denim. If we want to talk about parallels to Kong, he's the Carl <laughs> Denim in this movie, except he's a tycoon and not a movie director. But They're similar. Yeah, similar, but similar he's still filling the same role where it's, oh, giant monkey on an island. I'm going to exploit it for money. <laughs> that, it's not funny. That's the first thought you have. And same with same with the Mothra egg. Like, why is the first thought? Wow, I should put this in a museum. This giant thing that I don't know what it is and it doesn't belong to me. Let's let's exploit it. <laughs> this can only end in good. <laughs> <laughs> right but like so I, I get i get that you guys are business people but that's a pretty big risk even for entrepreneurs you're, yeah, you're yeah. Really pushing well, the boundaries. It, it actually does there's actually a it, it's actually understandable that they would want to do this that's the thing that's interesting about this one compared to say the original king kong where it was just this crazy charismatic 
borderline insane <laughs> movie director who just was like, I'm going to go to a, an uncharted island and I'm going to film a movie there and nobody will have seen anything that we're there. And then, oh, look, there's a giant ape. Let's use that. Right. You know, it was just kind of a happy accident. In this case, it's like, hey, we hear there's a monster on Faroe Island. Go there and find me a monster because I need to boost my ratings because nobody's watching and nobody cares about our products and blah, blah, blah. So, you know, it it actually makes sense. It's absurd, but it makes sense. Oh, no, I, I get it. It's just... It's also, it's also wild. You yes. Know? Yes. And then, you know, there's all those bits where, you know, like you mentioned the umbrella in the same one, he just, he kind of haplessly leans on the detonator <laughs> before the dynamite. <laughs> like, no, 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 no. What's that? It's like, Ooh, what's you know that? what? <laughs> I, I got to give it to Mr. Taco. He reminds me of myself. He's just so in the moment with his own thoughts that everything around him could blow up or fall apart and he'd still be in his thoughts and they'd still be intact, even if the real world wasn't. Do you flip coins <laughs> all the time like he does? <laughs> <laughs> He, he's a he's a in in that in that small way he is the spirit animal <laughs> the spirit man the spirit man <laughs> I, I i am totally memeing that mr taco is my spirit animal signed Alyssa. <laughs> he continually makes dumb mistakes and I mean, just today I left my key card in my room and just walked right out without it. And I, I'm so careful not to do that. But you see, like Mr. Taco, when I'm in my head, nothing else matters. So I give it to the man. I'll yeah. give him that much. Yeah, but He's very I, committed. Yes. But like but like Carl Denham, he does end up getting undone a little bit by his hubris. <laughs> Right. <laughs> I have, which is a, a little bit of a theme here. He doesn't get to keep Kong. He also doesn't suffer quite as many consequences as you would think. Although it's funny where they get caught by the Japanese Navy and they tell him that Kong is considered smuggled goods. <laughs> yeah, that's hilarious. <laughs> and he's like, what? Smuggled goods? Uh, and he passes out. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and then, well, and then the whole thing with the with the dynamite happens because he was tr scuffling with the other two guys to keep them from blowing up Kong, and then he falls on the detonator, <sighs> and then it doesn't blow up. <laughs> it's like you know, he's he's being looked out for. Maybe they, he was trying to. A lesson was supposed to be taught to him, and he just wasn't. It just wasn't getting through. Yeah. Ground control to Major Tom. No, no <laughs> communications here. <laughs> it's just, it's just pointless. Yeah. This guy will never learn. Yeah. But uh, what the thing I like about this is, even though we see characters like this in a bunch of Kong movies, thankfully he's a buffoon, but he's not evil. Unlike True. say the oil tycoon. <clears throat> <laughs> in the 1976 remake of King Kong, that guy is despicable. <laughs> True. That guy's a slime ball. Mr. Taco, not so much. If Mr. Taco got stepped on, it would seem very mean-spirited. <laughs> True. True. So, I'm a big fan of Mr. Taco. Weirdly enough, the, uh, Mr. Arishima didn't actually show up in too many other 
Tokusatsu films. He only came back, I think, on a couple more. And so his bread and butter okay. was the comedies. I can tell why. <laughs> he was built for it. Uh, you know, type typecasting and that and that whole thing. Yeah, I can see it. Yeah, that's true. But since we're talking about the you know kind of the spoofarific <laughs> satirical elements of this, do we want to get into the potentially controversial part? <laughs> Oh, we all we always go for the controversial. That's what gets the most clicks. <laughs> business, business, Mr. Taco. I was gonna say you have apparently been learning from Mr. Taco. Can you imagine if Mr. I Taco have. was around I'm now? Notes. You imagine if Mr. Taco was around now and had social media? Oh, good lord! <laughs> oh my gosh, <laughs> he'd be he'd be off of he'd be canceled from Twitter so fast. <laughs> Uh, they wouldn't know what to do with him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I, I guess I'd have to take a few lessons from Cameron Winter, our new boss around here. He seems to be a little bit better at that. But let's talk about the natives. Oh, boy, those unfortunate natives, which have actually been the source of what I like to call controversy in the fandom in the last couple of years, mostly because some people just want to keep breaking this up. And I'm like... Nobody cares. Why are you trying to make them care by bringing hey, you gotta this get up? Those, you you got to get those social credit score points, you know? I, and look, yes. I, I understand. I understand, like, looking at something and being like, yeah, that's messed up. But at the same time, it was a different time, different period of time, you know, in history. And I personally have nothing wrong with a little bit of tongue-in-cheek satirical anything I, I love a good white person joe personally i mean it's true we all go to starbucks it's it's sad starbucks and yoga and yo play yogurt <laughs> i mean so. I, I mean uh, you know, jimmy was the token white guy in you know two movies you know two based on his rather <laughs> eventful life so why not you know? <laughs> he knows yeah, so yeah, he knows, he knows. But for those who are unfamiliar, and this was brought up actually uh, not uh, not too long ago when I covered the original Mothra, and that, probably the fairest assessment that I saw out of all the things that I read about this film was that it was described as sincere but racially insensitive. <laughs> yeah, I think I think that's the best way to... To put it because that was how the times were back then so it's not easy it's not as easy to judge an outdated or older thing by modern concepts because mm -hmm. well it's like trying someone for a crime before it was ever a crime right that's actually a law in a <laughs> uh, minority our... report anyone i'm just saying yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's actually that's actually one of our government laws i don't remember what it's called someone can someone can chime in with that but that's you know that's the thing. It's like it's like trying someone for an offense that wasn't really an offense when it was done. So it's like yeah, I, I get it by modern standards. That's it is what it is. But mm -hmm. at the same time, I think it's kind of funny personally because I I really don't have a problem with humor like that if it's not used to be hateful. Like there's a difference between being hateful and joking around and saying yeah. You know, these people on this island, they're a little, you know, they don't really live like we do and they're they're different or whatever. Well, of course they are, because look at where they live and look at their lifestyles. So, yeah, I, I think it's kind of a non-issue myself and 
people who get offended by it. I, I get where, where they're coming from, but at the same time, I think there are much bigger problems to focus energy into. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Basically what happened, what happened in this is you have a bunch of Japanese actors who people were, there were people who were calling it blackface. I think it's more accurate to say that they, that they got spray tans basically mm. because these natives are supposed to be Polynesian. And just like I said before, I think this was done more for practical reasons because they wanted to be accurate. Yeah. But they, they, where are they going to find a bunch of Polynesian actors in the early sixties in Japan? It's going to be hard right. to come by. So they, again, wanting to be accurate, they took a bunch of Japanese actors and gave them spray tans and bunches of, uh, which that was just for the sake of accuracy. And then the crazy getups and everything that was part of the humor. Yeah. And, you know, and the fact that they don't know what things like a radio is and all of that, that's, it, that's of course just, they don't. Of course they don't. And it's funny because they're subtly being shown things that they have no idea what it is. And they're like, Magic, let me tell what? you something. <laughs> <laughs> let me tell you something as a 21st century um, middle class white person who grew up in America. Right. Uh-huh. There are some vending machines and there there are transportation systems and such. I have never seen in my life. Never had any experience with. They blew my mind. And I live in a first world country, right? So now you're looking at these people who clearly don't have access to any of those things. Of course, they're going to be surprised. And of course, it's going to be kind of funny to see him smoking all smoking cigarettes, <laughs> the kids included. And he gave one to a kid. <laughs> right? He's hey, like, you got to get that lung cancer going early. <laughs> I went sick. never get too early. His, I just want to say his mother figured out how to use a cigarette pretty quickly. I'm just, she did. <laughs> she, she looked wonder, that thing up. Like she, make, uh, like she had experience. <laughs> right. It makes you wonder what else she's been smoking. It's <laughs> like, what have you been doing lady? <laughs> but, you know, but then again, we also see her later with her, <laughs> with her coconut bikini doing, Right. <laughs> let's just say uh doing a very pleasing dance for kong who was asleep yeah but <laughs> yet more Hating evidence that beach. i'm pretty sure honda secretly wanted to make a musical i'm just oh man <laughs> <laughs> i would totally be down with the musical <laughs> yes i would as well but uh yes <laughs> I also found out that that's actually the same actress who played the native girl in Half Human. Mm, okay. Like, well, that makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but anyway, so it was, so we had all of that, and I actually found out what some of the lines from the song that was played on the radio because even in the dub version, they don't translate it. By the way. Oh. They were supposed to be really far away from Japan. I want to know what kind of a radio that is because it's got a heck of a good reception. <laughs> Especially for the 60s. Yeah. I'm like, you're like hundreds and hundreds of miles from Japan because they even showed us on the map where the island was. And it's really far. They're, they're closer to Australia than they are in Japan. And they're still getting reception. But anyway... Yeah, the there were, the the song itself is actually poking fun at island natives as well. <laughs> so they they have no idea what's going on, and they're just they're just like, oh, magic! How is 
singing coming from here, you know. And but the 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 song has lines like "Dad is rumba, mom is mambo, and the kids are Congo and bongo." Oh, Congo and bongo. Oh man. <laughs> <laughs> to call it politically incorrect would be accurate. <laughs> Yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> but you know, it, it's funny. <laughs> they just they, they don't, just don't know. It they is. just don't know. When you don't know, it's funny. <laughs> True. That's where a lot of humor comes from. That's something that's I do feel like in some ways is a little bit lost on some audiences. They don't realize that you know that. In order to make humor work, you need things like that. It has to not necessarily play into kind of edge. Uh, it. Doesn't well, I guess yeah. you could say it kind of plays to stereotypes a little bit. But you know, it that's how humor works. You know, you have to play broadly in order for the jokes to land for more people. Right. You know, humor is based largely in shared experiences, and true. You know, in order to get. You know, sometimes you can go too broad and then it's just incredibly lowbrow and not a, even if people mm. get the joke, they aren't necessarily going to like it. <laughs> right. You know, but, you know, so the, humor is an art form and it doesn't work for everybody. But I don't think there was any intended malice in this. This was no. played for laughs. It was not meant to be malicious. I, I, am, I truly believe that. I don't think the crew on this movie... Well, you meant it to be that way. I don't think they were they were sitting there scheming. Let's no. be racist. <laughs> Let's be racist. Yes. <laughs> Although there were some crew members that kind of took some interesting interpretations of the movie. The, some actually saw the the battles between Kong and Godzilla as being symbolic of the conflict between the U.S. and Japan, mm. which isn't flattering for either country. If that's the case If Kong is supposed to be America, he's a, you know, he's a, a drunk brute. And if Godzilla um, is supposed to be Japan, <laughs> he's also kind of a brute, <laughs> kind of a mindless brute at points. So. A small pea, pea brain. <laughs> yeah. Although that only existed. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Eric Carter and his buddy, Doctor scientist who uses a children's book to illustrate what Kong and Godzilla are. <laughs> <laughs> I know someone who actually has a copy of that book. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, I do. <laughs> I'm just like, what is going on? I, I every time, ever since I saw the Japanese version of this movie, when I watch the U.S. cut now, and those guys show up, I'm like, stop interrupting the movie. <laughs> <laughs> Why are you here? They got to read you. They got to read you the story. We got to make it appealing. Oh, I guess they have to. Those guys would be funny to see in a modern version now. Can you imagine what that would be? It would be so weird. They probably. That's the thing. Old movies. Old movies get away with a lot. <laughs> you imagine that they would probably be. I have like a YouTube show or something. You know, like the official news, the the official channel for the United Nations, and then they come on there and they start telling you the obvious things about Godzilla and Kong, and they're just <laughs> okay, guys. Old movies. <laughs> okay, guys. So uh, they go where no one will ever go again. Yeah. Now I will say. Having them on does help explain some plot points that 
aren't quite explained in the Japanese version, like Kong getting strengthened by lightning and you know what the berry juice does and things like that. That's kind of nice, but because they don't, it comes a little bit out of left field in the, mm. in the Japanese version, you know, but you know, so I'll give them credit for that. At least they did that. But otherwise I just feel like their interruptions are getting in the way. <laughs> Unnecessary. Yeah. 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 I'm just like, why are you here? <laughs> Disrupt, disrupting the flow. Yes. You are getting in my way. <laughs> We need we need to see blows get delivered, you know, yes. not not watch them get staggered out by people talking. Yeah, for sure. At least they're at least it's not a narrator who just comes in and tells you everything that's literally happening right in front of you. That's happened. That's true. Times. It could be worse. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> oh yeah, I forgot. We need to talk. We could talk about the other monster who shows up on the island, <laughs> Udaku, the giant octopus, which is. <laughs> A real octopus. It was actually three real octopuses, octopi, whichever plural you prefer. (laughs) (laughs) One will never know. Yes. And I've heard a couple of interesting stories about this. One that I read that I didn't see in any of my sources this time, but it's just something I've heard over the years that apparently the, I can't remember who it was, but one of the guys in charge of the special effects for the later Pirates of the Caribbean movies actually told the animators to watch this scene from this movie to learn how to animate the tentacle beard on Davy Jones. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So there's a funny connection for you. But the most interesting part that happened is, well, let's just say this movie can't lay claim to no animals were harmed in the making of this motion picture. Oh, no. Because A.G. Subaraya literally ate one of his special effects. That's pretty epic. That's, yeah. that's pretty base. Yes. Because <laughs> what happened was that they had three octopi that they were using for this. And they would you know, spray it with air so it would, you know, it would puff up and make the, the hissing noises and things like that. They had to agitate them a little bit to get that effect. Nice. Uh, the one where the, that the suit actor for Kong, who was, by the way, his name was Hirose, and he nearly died making this movie because that Ooh. suit was hot, and there was one point he had to wear it for three hours straight that just about killed him. Wow. Y'all, uh, <laughs> I believe it. Yeah. <laughs> Nakajima and, and other suit actors, they went through a lot. Oh, uh, Nakajima almost died making this too. You know, the scene at the yeah. end when they fall into the when they fall into the ocean, he hit his head on the way down and he nearly drowned. Oh. They had to drag him out of the water and give him mouth to mouth. It's not it's not Godzilla versus Kong. It's uh the suit actor it's it's the uh, movie producers versus the suit actors. Yes. Who will survive? <laughs> yeah, who will survive? But uh, they had, I think they, I saw, I think one source said they had four, one said they had three, but regardless, they released all but one of them back into the wild. And then the last one became A.G. Subaraya's dinner that night. <laughs> he ate one of his special effects. That That is, uh, I mean, you think you're cool, but then you hear stories like that and you realize, no, none of us are cool. Because <laughs> we have not done, we have not eaten our special effects. Yeah, I mean, uh, there's no way that's, that... That's a chart that, topper. There's no way I can eat my soundboard or anything, or, or my microphone. That would make more well, sense. Well, you could try, but yeah. probably wouldn't go very well. I'm not going to, I'm not going to do that uh, right now while we're broadcasting because uh, there's weird we ASMR <laughs> like that on Twitch and I'm not contributing to that. <laughs> <laughs> 
Smart. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but, you know, it, but they did also use a prop octopus. I think it was, it was covered in cellophane or something like that for when Kong picks it up and, and you know, slams it back down on the ground because, you know, obviously they're not going to handle the octopus. And so at least I guess they were nice enough to not do that to the poor things. But one still got eaten. <laughs> <laughs> as long as he didn't feel anything. <laughs> yeah, I guess not. Although then we did have a nice nod to that in... Uh, Kong Skull Island, where Kong literally beats up an octopus and eats it. <laughs> Love it. That's uh, awesome. Yes. Uh, apparently, uh, that's there's also a pun like that off of Taco, because I guess in Jap the because uh, you know it's Udaku, which sounds mm. like Taco. Yeah. And so in the Japanese, when uh, when the uh, one when the one guy goes in and is waking up the other guy trying to tell him that the octopus was there, he thinks he hears Taco. So he's like, huh? Mr. Taco's here. <laughs> so so to, to the English speaker, we hear Taco, we think Mexican food, but it's actually closer to octopus. <laughs> no, it's just it's just an, uh, a, an actual octopus that wants to wrap its tentacles around Kong and take him away. Yes, yes. Although it mostly just picks on the poor natives, which actually has some stop motion effects in this yeah i noticed that yeah that's kind of cool yeah like because yeah because subarayo wanted to do stop motion and he wanted to do stop motion in the original godzilla but then he told him that in order to do it it would take seven years so yeah, like, we right. can't do that so wow so they're like okay rubber suit it is their so. freaking their copyright license wasn't even seven years long <laughs> yeah well no that was for the original godzilla this one mm. they wanted to do it but they're like that no that's not going to happen. There's no way. But he did do a little bit. So some of the tentacle attacks are stop motion. There is a stop motion scene with Godzilla and Kong where Godzilla drop kicks <laughs> Kong and he goes rolling down the mountain. <laughs> yeah. How appropriate. I think there's, there's one scene where they're fighting in the background and it looks like they're using finger puppets because they're kind of far away. <laughs> it is. They are finger puppets? Are. I thought so. They are puppets. I don't know if they're finger puppets, but they're puppets. <laughs> I, I paused it and I rewatched it and I thought, because it caught my eye when I was watching it. I was like, what the? It looks really interesting. And so I, re I rewound it. And I was like, those look like puppets. And I thought maybe even of the finger variety. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm not sure, but it was interesting seeing him like move around and stuff, dance around. <laughs> I was like, that, that does not look natural, but I thought it did, I, it did look cool. Like, that's yeah. the thing. So do you know Norman England? Yes. I haven't talked with okay. him, but I know of him. Yes. So he and I were talking about the special effects in these films. We had gone to the Yasuyuki Inoue exhibit mm -hmm. out here. And what Norman said is, is how I'm going to describe these movies from now on. They don't look natural. They don't look real, but they look cool. Mm -hmm. Like the special effects and, and all the explosions and whatnot, mm -hmm. it doesn't look real. You're not really convinced, but it is cool. It is interesting. And so I like to pause moments like that and just see the different styles they use when they're um, mm -hmm. having the monsters fight. So we got puppets, we got stop motion, regular suit fighting. There's green screens. Mm -hmm. Later on in the series, you, you start getting into CGI and mm -hmm. other stuff. And it's just really fascinating the different components they bring together to 
portray these fights Mm -hmm. and the monster scenes and the destruction too. It's like, wow, they are pulling out all kinds of different skills, so many skill sets and elements involved in making this happen. Mm -hmm. And I love to pause it. It's like, there's, it's just this big picnic of different things going on. And and the puppet saying like, that was what really kind of opened my eyes to how interesting that is. Like, Mm -hmm. wow, they, they really, made all these different props and did all of these different things mm-hmm. to make this movie happen. So mm-hmm. I like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Even I, if it looks silly, uh-huh. I love it. Yeah. I've actually done a lot of reading about that and finding out that a lot of that, it goes back to cultural differences. Americans are looking for special effects that look convincing. They look real. Yeah, in some form or another. Whereas the Japanese are less con- are much less concerned with realism and more interested in the mood. Surrealism. And yeah, the mood that it creates. It doesn't have to yeah. look real so long as, like you said, as long as it looks cool. And a lot of that goes back to a lot of Japanese. I, I don't have uh, didn't come prepared with that research, but a lot of it goes back to things like no theater and kabuki, where uh, where it does, and there you know because uh, there is a form of uh, puppet theater. I think it's no theater. I could be wrong on that. If you want to correct me, Jimmy, you can go ahead and correct me on that. But and it's it's a it's a it's a stage performance and you know, you know when you're watching a stage play that unless it's a very lavish production they're not going for absolute realism there right and you know so that there's elements of that that have found their way into this that's why you know tokusatsu special effects they you know they're not as concerned about whether or not i mean they want the suits and everything to look good Obviously, because right. if you've watched bad tokusatsu, it takes you out of it. Okay, <laughs> it's like like yeah, if the effects of the suits sure. are truly, truly awful, and uh, that even you know the leeway that you granted is gonna you're going it's gonna lose that. But they're more concerned about mood and atmosphere than they are realism. So using a couple of puppets way in the background for a shot like that. They're not worried about it. Now, if they were starting to do close-ups on those things, you would probably question their choices. But for distant shots, it worked. It worked for the scene, though. Yes. And I would argue that regardless of what special effects techniques are used, and this is a whole discussion unto itself, I'll just make the general statement here. There's a level of unreality with every special effects technique. Doesn't matter what True. it is, whether it's practical it's or visual real. or whatever, it's technically trying to create something that we know is not real. Right. And it will never be one hundred percent convincing. It just never will. There are people who complain about the overuse of CGI. Because well, see, and what I I was talking to someone about the other day, I said I think the Heisei era and, and Millennium era Godzilla movies, they look more real to me than the Legendary series. And the reason is because you achieve a certain level of realism with those practical effects because that is physically there. That Godzilla suit is actually there. And you're seeing real water run down the rubber skin and you're seeing real detail placed in the physical you know, in the physical latex and and the details along the spines and the mouth and the eyes and and a real human being is inside that making it move, and you just can't. Yeah, it, it looks fake, bec- but I don't know. At the same time, it looks more real to me than CGI because mm-hmm. it's really there. And those explosions they have on set, 
those are real explosions. And it's real danger. It's real movement and real things that is actually present. Mm-hmm. It's tangible. Mm-hmm. You can't say that about CGI. So I, I, I think no matter how great CGI gets, it's always going to look faker to me, amazingly, mm-hmm. than the practical effects. Mm-hmm. If the practical effects are used well and they're not like Showa-era practical effects, I think they're pretty fantastic. Mm-hmm. I think they can achieve something human. There's a human mm-hmm. touch there. Mm-hmm. It's not cold. It's not cold, mechanical, computerized. Mm-hmm stuff mm-hmm. although what's interesting you know since we're on this rabbit trail here for a little bit <laughs> the, uh, what i find interesting and i'm still trying to figure out if this is what if they did this in godzilla versus kong because i don't think they did you know to make it a little bit relevant to what we're talking about but i know in the MonsterVerse films leading up to that they did mocap and you know shit mm. godzilla had mocap and I feel like in a weird, in a way, and I've made this argument before, I feel like mocap is modern suitmation because that's still an actor giving a performance. It's just then that performance is then being put into the computer and being used as the basis for the animation. True. So I actually kind of like that. So, you know, TJ Storm, who was the mocap actor for, uh, for Godzilla and the MonsterVerse, I would actually include him in the lineage of... Godzilla suit actors because he's still basically doing the same thing. He's just not wearing a giant rubber suit. He's wearing a, a mocap suit that is monitoring all of his movements, but he puts a lot of character into his Godzilla. It's yeah, just, that makes it, sense. He's just then animated over that, which I don't necessarily think was done in, like I said, in Godzilla versus Kong, which is why the anim- it feels the animation and that feels different. <laughs> it does it feels it feels very detached and like hollow like you can tell it's just um it's just computer mm-hmm. which is what i don't like about it um <laughs> i honestly, know you have strong opinions about gvk <laughs> oh yes the best like most opinions. people most people have strong opinions one way or the other about gvk <laughs> I think it's the fact that it's Godzilla and Kong because I didn't really get that sense from King of the Monsters as much. But this movie, like, wow, if, if you even go anywhere near disagreeing with it or not liking it, you are <laughs> you you're, you're going to eat your vegetables. <laughs> eat your <You> vegetables. <laughs> you're, you're or, in the, or in this case, or in this case, it was it was it, it was just a tree trunk. With a Godzilla spine, you know, just <laughs> yeah. Which I will say, yeah. that got a big cheer the first time I saw it. <laughs> nice. <laughs> it, it was that was that was clearly one of those ones where they're like, "Here you go, fans. <laughs> this is for you. <laughs> right? No one else will get this, but you will." <laughs> I can tell. Yeah. 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 But anyway. So- <laughs> Trying to figure, I'm, I'm, you know, here I am thumbing through my nose, trying to figure out what's another good thing that we could talk about a little bit. Like this, this, this is a fun little movie. You know what? Let's talk about uh, the human drama in this because I don't know if you're familiar with this, but Shinichi Sekizawa was a- actually revolutionized how kaiju films were written, and this was one of his scripts. And one of the things that he brought that was one of his trademarks is he wrote stories that centered around human problems that the kaiju then had to deal with. Nice. And uh, so (laughs) in this case, we have, we have this human cast and they're doing their things 
And then the kaiju have to deal with them doing their things. Or the human drama gets interrupted by the kaiju stuff. So they're kind of That's separate until they overlap with each other. So in this case, we have, we have Mr. Taco, who is like, I need publicity to make more money. And then Kong has to deal with it because he becomes the object, the, the vehicle that Mr. Taco is going to use. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and uh or in you know the case of uh our you know the young couple and the brother he's going off doing his thing and then it looks like it, it, there's rumors going around that his ship sank. So his uh fiance goes to find him and then she gets caught in the path of both monsters that poor woman. <laughs> oh jeez, imagine. That poor woman. Can you imagine that? In like in just the span of like a day or two you get accosted by Two kaiju. <laughs> That's pretty. Uh, those those are some incredible chances. Yeah, she's the either the luckiest or unluckiest woman in the world because she was on a train that got derailed by Godzilla, and then she she becomes the momentary object of Kong's affections. Normally, he prefers blondes, but then he's like, "Oh, me, Hama, I can make an exception." <laughs> right. She comes. She, she becomes a Bond girl later, right? <laughs> He knew her potential. Yeah, actually, there are two Bond girls in this movie. <laughs> because That's both, true. both Miehama and Akiko Wakabayashi were Bond girls in You Only Live Twice. That's so cool. Yeah. <clears throat> Miehama played a character named Kissy Suzuki. I remember that, that name. Oh, Ian Fleming and your names. <laughs> Kissy, Kissy Suzuki. <laughs> but yeah so we got two of them in here so yeah she gets carted around and everything and and then we get some payoff from or especially if you watch the japanese version this is another thing that's different there's actually you know as part of that satire of commercialism we see uh the brother he uh, you know how in the u.s version he just subtly knows how to play drums and then they replicate the uh the drum beat you know the one piece of a fukube music they kept for the u.s version <laughs> Yeah, because everything else got cut out and replaced with universal stock music from mm -hmm. Creature from the Black Lagoon. Uh, <laughs> that actually gets foreshadowed in the Japanese version because he's an actual drummer and they brought nice. him in to film a commercial for Pacific Pharmaceutical. And they actually wow. show you they show they cut between him filming the commercial and then what the commercial actually looks like. So there are points where like he like beats on the drums and then he like looks at the camera and kind of winks at it a little bit. And then it, you know, it nice. zooms in on his big old handsome face and it puts up graphics for the, for the product <laughs> with a narrator saying like, buy this and all of that sort of stuff. <laughs> Commercialism. Yeah. It reminds me a lot of the original RoboCop. Cause there was a lot of satire like that in the original RoboCop. Cause they had fake in universe commercials. <laughs> Nice. in the original RoboCop and you know so then he he films that he finishes filming that and then he gets up and he talks to the the other guy who in the US version complains about his corns that's not in the <laughs> Japanese version I don't want to hear about your corns <laughs> yeah <laughs> and then they say like hey Mr. Taco wants to meet us because he wants us to go to, he wants us to go do something for him and all that so it so got foreshadowed but you know, then they pay off the whole thing with the berry juice because they realize, hey, we could put it in rockets and vaporize it and he'll fall asleep and we can rescue the girl. Not ever thinking to themselves, he might drop her. 
<laughs> right? Jeez. <laughs> Won't be much to save then. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, you know. It's, so, it's a show era. We're not judging too hard. Yeah, well, I mean, <laughs> you could say the same thing about the original Kong f- film as well, where they send the airplanes to shoot Kong down when he's holding Fay Ray. And I'm just like, did you think about whether or not his hand goes limp and drops her? <laughs> Jeez. Uh, just, did you think for a second? Did you think? For, apparently not. So, you know, but that's another homage to the original King Kong where he climbs the building. In this case, it's the diet. And, you know, and then they have to figure out how to deal with him. He's holding a girl and stuff like that. You know, there's like I said, there's a lot of nods to the original Kong in this. You can tell that this was made by Kong fanboys. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we have this whole plot centered around these, you know, these characters. The Mr. Taco one mm-hmm. gets more connected to the monster stuff. But then we have the brother and the young couple. And that gets actually gets developed more in the Japanese version. There's even a, a fun little scene. The dinner scene is actually longer in the Japanese version where the brother goes to see his sister at her apartment. He's like, wait, she's not here? Oh, boy. And then he kind of stomps out and goes a few <laughs> doors down to the <laughs> other apartment. And he's like, and he finds her and she's making dinner. And he's like, what are you doing? <laughs> he's like, oh, nothing. Just making dinner. And then, you know, then the guy comes out and he's like, what are you doing? And he's like, oh, I'm not doing anything. And then he actually takes a napkin. This is because Sekizawa's humor is very subtle. It's not, you know, crazy in your face slapstick. And then the, the brother just takes like a napkin or something and wipes the guy's mouth. And then he shows it to him like, that's lipstick. You've been kissing my sister. You know, that's basically what he's saying. <laughs> basically making it known. It's like, I don't like this. <laughs> He's a, and that was a little bit of a trope with Sekizawa, the disapproving older brother. You see it in Ghidorah, the three-headed monster, and in Monster Zero. <laughs> yeah, there's a trend there. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, and so there's a little bit of tension when they're having dinner <laughs> that got developed a little bit more in the Japanese version. And it was very funny, I thought, <laughs> because we've yeah. all been in situations like that. <laughs> Yeah, the family drama stuff is always funny. Yes, yes. <laughs> uh, the, although the Japanese version, what's weird is that the Japanese version makes a pop culture reference that the U.S. version doesn't, but then the U.S. version makes some pop culture references the Japanese version doesn't. Like in that scene, the dinner scene, when he, when the the younger, when the the boyfriend, fiance, whatever, is showing off the, you know, foreshadowing the the crazy wire that gets used later. And one of the most hilarious special effects shots ever of a balloon airlifted Kong. <laughs> yeah, that's wild. <laughs> that was wild. Uh, when he's showing it off and he's you know dangling from the side of the building with his wire just to show uh, how strong the thing is. And in the U.S. version, you're not Tarzan. It's like yeah, you're not it's not Tarzan. He says Tarzan. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> way to enunciate like a Brit, there, buddy. <laughs> Right. Yeah. But then in the Japanese version, one of the, I think it was actually the brother actually told another guy, oh, when, you know, when the the lightning was happening, when Kong seemed to be on the ropes, he's he's like, oh, oh, lightning. Electricity is like Popeye spinach to Kong. (laughs) Yeah, that is interesting. Those are very distinctly American references. Yeah, I'm like, Popeye spinach? (laughs) interesting how, how many people in japan know who popeye is 
Probably not too many. <laughs> it was just funny. <laughs> Okay, and this is from the official subtitles, I might add. This is not a fan sub. This is in the Criterion version, because that's the thing. The Japanese version of this movie was basically unavailable in the U.S. for years, because Universal blocked it, essentially. They would not allow (laughs) it to be released, because there were all these legal things. Well, Criterion, when they did their semi-controversial box set, they got it released. Now, they had to cheat a little bit, and they had to just make it available as a quote-unquote special feature. Mm. But it's there. But then that, But then that generated some controversy because it's an older print that hadn't been fully uh. restored yet when Toho was putting out a new 4K restoration on TV and then on Blu-ray. But they wouldn't let Criterion have that. Huh. So there you go. So I actually enjoyed the the human story, which is why the U.S. version bugs me a bit now because that character development gets removed largely in favor of these intrusive American characters. (laughs) (laughs) Dr. Scientist and his dinosaur children's book. (laughs) Oh, jeez. The best way to teach them. Yeah, Keep apparently. it simple. Oh, man. Apparently. Uh, uh, also, the, you might find this amusing. Did you know that the U.S. version also puts in clips from other Toho movies? I didn't. Yeah. That doesn't surprise me, though, I guess. It's- uh-huh. The satellite that's supposed to be where the, you know, uh, uh, Eric Carter and Dr. Scientist are broadcasting. That's actually from, I believe, I could be wrong on this. Again, Jimmy, you'll have to correct me. In your blog, if need be. I think that's actually from Battle in Outer Space. Okay. But the tsunami when Kong and Godzilla fall into the water is not in the Japanese version. But the America Universal wanted to have a more exciting climax. So they edited in a tsunami scene from the Mysterians. Wow. <laughs> to, make, to make the end look crazier. I mean, that would do the trick. It certainly would. Yeah, there's a lot that we could go into, but I think now is as good a time as any to talk about the ending, because we were promising people we were going to talk about the ending. (laughs) True. So, who wins? (laughs) Oh, the ages-old question. to, To me, what shocks me is that there is still contention over this. I'm like, it because to me, it seems pretty... You know what? There will always be contention simply because, one, it exists, and two, <laughs> the internet. Then three, Godzilla versus Kong came out and just reignited everything. Oh, yeah. Opened those old scar wounds. Yeah, although... You know, Godzilla versus Kong is kind of... It's kind of weird because there's three... There's basically three f- major fights in that movie... And the victories kind of go to different ones. Kong, Godzilla basically wins the first one. Kong kind of wins round two. Uh, Kong wins round two because he smacked Godzilla with that axe. Knocked him on his his big scaly keister for a few minutes. (laughs) And and then Godzilla goes full-tailed alligator on him, but (laughs) which bothered people apparently. I'm like, why is this a problem? But... It was just unexpected, that's all. Yeah, and then 
basically, and then, but then Godzilla really wins round three. You know, makes it abundantly clear to the monkey, I could kill you right now if I wanted to, but I'm but not. I won't. But I'm not. I respect you, you big ape. And then, <laughs> you're still probably going to die, but I respect you. So I'm just going to leave. And then Kong saves Godzilla from, spoiler warning for Mechagodzilla. So. <laughs> <laughs> Kong kind of gets the last hurrah there at the end, but <laughs> but in this one, you know they they meet twice. First time, Godzilla wins because Kong's just like, "What? He breathes fire." <laughs> I don't know what to yeah, do what about you that. Do with that? Uh, I, I'm gonna walk away, scratch my head, and be like, "I don't know what to do. <laughs> what am I gonna do?" <laughs> and. But then the, the ending of this one, th there were rumors for years. And the, what cr drives me crazy is that there are still people. You dig around so on the internet. There are, yeah, there are still publications that perpetuate this rumor. It has been around since the 60s that there were two endings. There aren't two endings, people. <laughs> There's one. <laughs> it's the same in both. Okay. I love it. There isn't a U.S. ending and a Japanese ending. No, it's the same ending. They just tweak who roars at the end. In the Japanese version, it was, uh, but you hear both Godzilla and Kong roar. In the U.S. version, it's just Kong. That's the only thing yeah. that's different. So Godzilla and Kong wrestle around. They destroy, I think it's a Tommy Castle, which was a tourist attraction for what I understand. And yep. that's another iconic moment in the final battle. And then they fall off a cliff into the ocean. And then we see Kong swimming away. Yep. And even the characters are like, where's Godzilla? Who won? Yeah. He dropped off. What's going on? And so some people like myself, look at that and say, Kong wins. He was the more popular monster at the time. He was basically played as, the hero in this Godzilla is very much is much more villainous than Kong is in this. Yeah. And so like I Kong wins guys I hate to burst your bubble, but I think Kong wins in this and other people are like, no, it's a tie. How is this a tie? Because Godzilla is, uh, is amphibious and he can hide underwater. Okay. Guys. You gotta go. You gotta go with the context clues and what the movie's trying to show you. Like <laughs> the movie, the, the movie gives the answer in how, it looks. And when Kong is the only monster there, then it, Godzilla could have stood up and showed himself, but he didn't. Mm -hmm. He acknowledged that he had lost. Mm -hmm. And then they say Kong's going home. He's got a long way home or something. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, if he if he'd been defeated, I don't think he would have gone home. Yep. <laughs> Some people say, well, Kong is retreating from Godzilla's turf. The, the, yeah, what's Godzilla okay. doing? <laughs> Why is, yeah. Why isn't he popping out of the water and be like, ha ha, I win. Run away, eh? That's you <laughs> yellow. Okay. <laughs> he he would have gloated. Yeah. And he didn't. <laughs> and in this in this movie, yeah, he definitely would have done that. I mean, he was already gloating. He's like, ha, ha, I got you with my flamethrower. You know, so. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That didn't happen here. So, sorry, guys. Kong wins, and you're going to have to live with it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> If Alyssa says Kong wins and she's, you know, the big one of the biggest Godzilla fanboys out there, 
Well, I, I think we have the final word. <laughs> <laughs> the final verdict. We have the yeah. final verdict. Alyssa says so. <laughs> to go back to the pro to wrestling it. thing, you know, it's you know, it's like Stone Cold Steve Austin. And that's the bottom line because Alyssa says so. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, really, it's just it's just following like the context clues. Like even as a kid, I knew, oh, Godzilla didn't rise back up to the surface, which means he didn't win. Mm-hmm. No, he's not there. Mm -hmm. I mean, Godzilla versus Kong even was smart enough to acknowledge that because when you have the the fight on the aircraft carrier and Kong drags himself out of the water and just lays on the aircraft carrier, he's like, oh, I'm so tired. Dang lizard. And then they still bother to have Godzilla poke up out of the water. He's like, I'm going to get you, monkey. (laughs) Right? And then swim away. Yeah. Oh, uh, I th- I should have uh, I should have mentioned this. Another part of the satire in this, and this got cut out, actually, in the U.S. version. Did you know there's actually a meta reference in this? Which one is that? The and this is cut in the U.S. version, but when Taco is, uh, it's an extended. It's the full version of the scene where you know where in the U.S. version Taco says, "I'm ah, no more. I'm sick of Godzilla." And he's talking to his subordinates, and his subordinates are telling him that Godzilla is getting more publicity now than Kong. <laughs> <laughs> and they one of his subordinates even says there there's even going to be a movie. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> and then everyone is trying to uh, are talking about Godzilla and Kong being uh, being like it's a wrestling match and putting bets on the winner and things like that. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Which was yeah. a thing. You know, the TV was starting to become a thing and uh, Honda said that he didn't like TV. Thought TV took its audience for granted, and mm. you know, uh, you know, you know, it didn't treat them intelligently. You know, and thought yeah, it was very true. sensationalistic. Like at this point, uh, I read that there was actually a famous televised pro wrestling match between some Japanese wrestlers and some American wrestlers, where one of them bit the other guy in the head and made him bleed. And story has it that a pair of elderly viewers passed out seeing that. <laughs> Jeez. So it was very sensationalistic. So this is playing into that. They should watch modern day anything. Oh, yeah. I think Honda would lose his mind. He would. <laughs> yes. Yes. But uh, there's a lot of things that we could talk about related to this movie. I, we've probably we haven't gone, you know, covered nearly all the notes that I found. Oh, yeah. I made a <laughs> 2.75 uh, million dollars in the U.S. Sold over 11 million tickets in Japan. Still the highest grossing one. Uh, Wow. There's little changes like the U.S. version actually has more references to using nukes. You know, and the Japanese are always saying no. And I read one author who said like, that's a very American thing because the U.S. is trying to keep up with what the Soviets had at the Mm, time. Right. During the Cold War. Yep. During the Cold War. Oh, yes. This should be noted. This is the third film. You want to talk about parallelism. This is the third film for both Kong and Godzilla. It is the first time both of them have been in color, and it is the first time both of them have been in widescreen. And I found out it's also the first time that both of them had been in a movie with stereo sound. Wow. Although the U.S. version is still mono. Okay, wow. So this is a first for, first for both of them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Several firsts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, uh, I'm... Saying all this as I'm uh, slowly transitioning us to uh, talk about something 
uh, that you know, a cultural thing that plays into why this movie is the way it is. But you know, I mentioned salaryman comedies. This movie also takes inspiration from what were called keizai sho- uh, shosetsu, which are business novels mm. that you know were you know talking about basically office life. You know, and that's what salaryman comedies were about too. So if you've ever seen something like The Office or Office Space, you know, that's the sort of stuff that we're talking about here. So comedies about white collar jobs. Okay. And the reason for that is because there was a little thing going on at the time called the Japanese economic miracle. Have you ever heard of this, Alyssa? Um, I, it's familiar. I'm assuming post-World War II, there was probably some kind of boom because i know in the 90s or like so what was it late 90s early 2000s the japanese economy had a crash but up it was until the that early point, 90s doing... it was the late 80s early 90s actually okay yeah up until that point they were prosperous and then they mm-hmm. um were no longer and they were really going downhill mm-hmm. yeah in fact actually that you know that buildup of several decades of economic growth factored into you were talking about the heisei godzilla films earlier that factored into godzilla versus king Ghidorah, right you know where yep, they said japan in the future is going to just keep prospering until it's the you know the most powerful nation in the world so because at wish. the time <laughs> yeah because yeah, because they thought honestly at the time that they were just unstoppable and then the bubble burst and that's away. why and that's why godzilla comes in isn't that kind of meta so yeah. godzilla comes in and stops them and then yeah. And then a few years later, the mm-hmm. market crashes. Yep, basically. You know, because that was the whole idea. That was one of the themes. That movie's a mess, but if one, if, but it's got some good themes in it, one of them being that Godzilla could come in and destroy that prosperity like that. <laughs> right. But <clears throat> so this was a period of rapid economic growth that Japan experienced from the end of World War II, or I would say it might be a little more accurate to say after the uh, the U.S. occupation, all the way to the end yeah, of the all, all the way to the end of the Cold War, and then the Golden Sixties, when Toho is making it some of its best tokusatsu, that was the economic uh, miracle kind of at its peak. That was the greatest period of growth for Japan. Okay. To put it into perspective, from 1946 to 1976, Japan had a 55-fold economic increase, which was wow. accounted for 10% of the world's economic activity. Wow. And when, what makes that even crazier is that Japan only occupies 0.3% of the world's surface area and 3% of the population. Wow. That's how That's huge it was. Wild. Yeah. Jeez. That's how huge it was. Uh, there was doubt in the early 60s in Japan about this growth. Japanese economists found it hard to believe and wrote cautionary articles saying the boom would fail. Western economists, mm. though, praised it, seeing, quote, expansion of demand, high productivity, comparatively serene labor relations, and a very high rate of savings, end quotes. Wow. So, yeah. So... In 1962, when this movie was made and released, it was just starting to kick into high gear. Um, A third of the Mm. growth happened from 1966 to 1975. Uh, Despite recessions in 1954, 1965, and 1974, the Japanese government passed more 
Creative economic initiatives to continue to spur things on. The Japanese also moved from coal and textiles to oil and machinery and finished metal products, respectively, a process called heavy and chemical industrialization. So there, there are these wow. massive economic and in, industrial shifts going on here. Yeah. So, you know, to give a national character explanation, the economic miracle happened because of Japan's, quote, unique culturally derived capacity to cooperate with each other, end quote. In other words, Japan's tendency to emphasize the group over the individual makes it possible for them to agree more with each other, maximizing performance. Sounds a bit unlike America. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Now there was group some, of the individual. Yeah. Now there were some, you know, some different takes on how all of this was happening. One was called the no miracle occurred analysis. Mm. And this states that the growth was only a natural outgrowth of market forces. And we're getting into some economics here where we are not an economics podcast, but this is something that, you know, needs to be discussed to put this movie into, <laughs> into context here. Uh, and then there are several more Toho films that come after this that delve a bit into it too, like Matongo, where you have a bunch oh, of yeah. a bunch of rich people who get <laughs> stranded on an island and deal with mushroom monsters. Our friend Doctor Dorif, you know, is all about that. Mm. Uh, yeah, so it's t there's a lot. You'll see a lot of this showing up. But anyway, going back to uh, my research here, this is also called the quote anything but politics explanation. <laughs> Because it minimizes the government's involvement, saying it simply provided the right environment. <laughs> yeah. And then there's what's called the Uchiwa or All in the Family. Isn't that's a sitcom, right? Is that what that show is called in Japan? You know, All in the Family is called Uchiwa. <laughs> Maybe. Uh, the uh, Uchiwa economic system. This system consists of the quote three sacred treasures system. And we have talked about the sac the three sacred treasures here. On the film vault, that is in episode 15 on a movie called The Three Treasures, which are lifetime employment, the the seniority wage system, and enterprise unionism, end quote. It's believed that these unique Japanese traits account for greater production value and time with fewer misdays, fewer strikes, greater innovation, better quality control, and greater labor commitment. Wow. Uh huh. And then there's the quote unquote free ride, free ride, you know, like yeah, that's a good yeah, yeah. <laughs> explanation. The economic growth is due to the alliance with the United States. Oh, uh. this was brought about by a lack of defense expenditures, ready access to major export market and relatively cheap transfers of technology. So basically, and I'm sure you're familiar with this because of the alliance with the United States. And the, you know, the, the treaty that was signed to end the war where yeah. you know, because of article nine, Japan renounced war. So they only had enough of a military to defend themselves. Hence why their military is called the self-defense force. Yeah. They weren't spending as much on, uh, on military expenditures. So they were taking that money and investing it in other things. So that's what this is saying. So because of that, because the U S is, Basically, you know, offering them military, offering military protection, they could take that money and put it toward other things. Yeah, it makes sense. That's mm -hmm. that's cool mm -hmm. to think of it that way. Uh -huh. And then a key, a key to the miracle was the creation of the Kiretsu, 
which were business groups that were or that were that more or less replaced the pre-war zaibatsu. Oh man, the zaibatsu, which were broken up during the occupation. Businesses in these large groups have interlocking relationships and shareholdings in order to better navigate market fluctuations and prevent takeovers. That's a. Mm-hmm. A lot more than I ever learned in history class, for sure. <laughs> well, uh, I've got a few more bullet points here and <laughs> to, uh, for you. So, Mikiso Hane, I hope I said that right, said the periods said the period leading up to the late 1960s saw quote the greatest years of prosperity Japan had seen since the sun goddess shut herself up behind a stone door to protest her brother Susano's misbehavior. End quote. Wow. That is a that is a moment in Japanese mythology. Again, listen to episode fifth. No, excuse me, it's episode thirteen. I need to correct myself from earlier. Surprised you didn't say something, Jimmy. I beat you to it. It's episode thirteen <laughs> on the three treasures. We talk about that. He went on to say that the Japanese government contributed to this by inst- instituting regulations and protectionisms to manage crises and by concentrating on trade expansions. And then in 1954, hmm, that's an important year for us kaiju fans, right? Yeah. <laughs> Under Prime Minister Hayato Akeda, a- I think it's Akita, Akeda, who is called, quote, the single most important individual architect of the Japanese economic miracle, end quote, pursued a policy of over-industrialization, which led to the practice of, mm. quote, overloading. This was where the Bank of Japan issued loans to city banks who in turn loaned to business conglomerates. The conglomerates, which were called kiretsu, mentioned those earlier, would borrow too much money from the banks who would in turn borrow too much from the Bank of Japan, giving the bank control over them all. This fostered diverse investments and close relationships protecting against takeovers. <laughs> Man. Yep. So kiretsu shifted. Yep. Kiretsu shifted. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Kiretsu shifted managers, focuses away from short-term profits and stock dividends and more toward interest payments. Two-thirds of shares in most companies were traded, allowing them to plan for the long term. And also, just to give you some more numbers about how nuts this was, from 1965 to 1980, Japan's GDP grew from $91 billion to one point zero six five trillion. Wow. Okay, from billion with a B to trillion with a T. That's pretty good. That those are numbers that the human mind cannot fully comprehend. I'm just saying. It's true. That yeah, is insane. True. In just in twenty five years. No, not even twenty five. Fifteen years. Fifteen years. That much growth. Jeez. Yeah, it's insane. And then under Prime Minister Akeda. Japan undertook the ambitious this oh my gosh you want to talk you want to talk about making insane promises as a politician the ambitious quote unquote income doubling plan in the 1960s this guy promised to double everyone's income <laughs> taxes and interest rates were lowered for private players to increase spending he invested in infrastructure building new highways subways airports and the like and also invested in communications, which were previously neglected. This took Japan closer to a mixed economic model. Makes sense. Mm-hmm. And then uh, this is my last bullet point. So, Akeda also pushed trade liberalization, or free trade, 
1960, trade imports were 41% liberalized, and he planned to take them to 80% in three years. This new opposition, this saw opposition from industries and the public. The Japanese press described it as, quote, the second coming of the black ships, <laughs> end quote. Yeah. Are you, are you, I'm taking you're familiar with that? <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Yeah. For those who don't know, the the coming of the black ships happened at, I can't remember exactly the year. It was in the 1850s, if I remember correctly. And that was... It wasn't the first time that the that you know that Westerners had been to Japan, but it was the moment where they those came. It was Commodore Perry. Yeah. Yep. And that was Matthew considered Shapiro. the moment where Japan opened itself up to the rest of the world. Our galley is named after him. Really? <laughs> yep. <laughs> that's cool. the Commodore Matthew C. Perry Eating Hall. <laughs> that's actually that's, kind, that's kind of fun, actually. So, yeah. you know, depending on who you talk to in Japan, that was either a great moment in history or not. So <laughs> that's why they're calling it the second coming of the black ships. And then, quote, <laughs> and then the other things that the, that the press was saying, quote, the defenselessness of the Japanese islands in the face of attack from huge foreign capitalist powers, end quote, and, quote, the readying of the Japanese economy for a bloodstained battle between national capital and foreign capital, end quote. Wow. They were savage. <laughs> Man. Yeah. Ikeda was only being pragmatic, though, hoping to secure a protected market through regulations that favored Japanese industry and products. By the time he left office... Japan's GNP was growing at an astonishing 13.9%. Jeez. So he made outrageous promises and kept them. Wow. Not Imagine many, that. Not many politicians can lay claim to that. <laughs> That's just for the Japanese, I guess. Wow. <laughs> so there you go. There's something else. There you go. Some crazy history for you. And there's a lot that we could get into with the Japanese economic miracle. It is a it is a key point in Japanese history. And you oh, see yeah. it you see it reflected in a lot of art at the time. Oh yeah. That, you know, this That's very movie, cool. Matango, several other ones tap into that, you know, that sudden increase in prosperity and wondered, is this really good? For us as a country, is it good for us as a culture? Because yeah. with prosperity comes the temptation for vice and indulgence, which is what Matongo is. Yeah, all for, about. very true. Very mm -hmm. true. And you know, and then you know, you get to Godzilla versus King Ghidorah and in the early nineties and the sentiment was we are unstoppable. <laughs> we are invincible. I mean, there were the the attitude, and I'll get into it more once I get to Godzilla versus King Ghidorah. But the attitude was starting to become, you know, it was actually shifting against the Japanese in the U.S. I found publications that were actually saying Japan, because it was buying stuff in the U.S., you know, toward the, you know, at the tail end of this, there were some that were saying that Japan was a greater threat to the United States than the Soviet Union. Wow. There were people who were genuinely scared of Japan. And then wow. not long after that, the bubble burst and Japan has not really recovered ever since. Jeez. 
but you know it's it's one of those things the it, you know it can't last forever and sometimes and they have their time in the sun <laughs> yeah and you know sometimes the higher up you go the, the greater the fall the, yeah the farther you potentially could fall so it's interesting to see all of this and i think people you know like honda and sekizawa i think they they saw some of it you know and that's getting commented on in this the commercialism the crass commercialism yeah. the sensationalism you know tvs are becoming more common at this point it's so funny that there's some commentary on that you know with television in this and then this becomes the highest grossing godzilla film ever <laughs> even to this day and then a few that's years ironic. later tv starts eating into the movie going audience <laughs> Yeah. You know, because this was kind of the peak. You know, this was kind of the peak of Kaiju and Tokusatsu. And then after this, there's this slow decline until you get to the 70s where, you know, the budgets are getting slashed and almost nobody's going to see the movies. And Yeah. It's it's kind it's funny to look at it. So it's almost like the creators of this movie, they they, they were reading the tea leaves. They could see it. Yeah. Makes sense. All right. Well, like I said, there's a lot that could be said about this movie. I'm sure both of us could talk about it for hours. <laughs> <laughs> for but sure. Now it is time to get to one of the most important segments of the show the Patreon shout outs. Go show Alexander! Michael Hamilton! Danny Damana! Eli Harris! Chris Cook! Bex from Redeemed Otaku! Damon Noise! The Cellcast! Eric Anderson! Ted Williams! And finally, Tofu Fiore! Well, that was fun. And all right, now that I have thanked my generous patrons, it's now... Now I need to let everybody know what the next couple of episodes are going to be. So our main theme for for this season, Amerikaiju, will be continuing with... Actually, I will be bringing on both of my spinoff co-hosts, Michael Hamilton and Travis Alexander, who co-host the Kaiju Weekly podcast. And we're going to talk some Ray Harryhausen with 20 million miles to Earth. Yes, Jimmy, you know all about the Emir and Venus and all that because war in space and all that fun stuff. I'm sure you'll have plenty of stories to share with us. Have you ever seen 20 million miles to Earth, Alyssa? I have not even heard of that. Oh, you haven't? Oh, my gosh. You should go look it up. I'm sometime. sure that would make Jimmy mad, but <laughs> he'll be okay. Yeah, he'll be fine. He'll be fine. <laughs> He's got, a, you know, his ego is nearly unassailable. It's big enough. Yeah. It's big enough. <laughs> it but no, uh, uh, you should give it a you should give it a watch sometime. It's it's an interesting little movie. Interesting little movie with a very sympathetic monster who is here on the islands, the Emir, but he's very reclusive. He does not like to be bothered. I he's cannot. like me then. Yes. 
Yes. <laughs> weekends. Yes. There are people there are people who come to the island to see him, but like I said, he like he hides. He does not like to be bothered. And then Godzilla Redux, the series that you have come to participate in, will continue where my friend Daniel DeManna of the Godzilla Novelization Project is returning to talk about the next Godzilla film in the series, that being 1964's Mothra vs. Godzilla, which I'm sure will make my pseudo-sister happy because she is a raving Mothra fangirl. Oh, boy. I should introduce the two of you sometime. Alyssa, you two would probably get along. There's a funny story about how she came about, to say the least. Anyway, now we come to the most important segment of the show, at least for my guests, and that is shameless self-promotion. So just to let everybody know, I mentioned that you know my two spinoff co-hosts, those spinoffs are Henshin Men, a podcast about the appreciation of Japanese superheroes and their high-flying and high-kicking adventures, and The Power Trip, a journey through the Power Rangers franchise. I highly recommend you listen to both of them. I'm done. Your turn, Alyssa. <laughs> well, if you like dark and deadly dark fantasy, I highly recommend The Mermaiden Trilogy. Which book one, Daughter Darkness, is now out on Amazon, including some supplementary material and my first ever full-length poetry collection, 19 Reaching 90, Poems for the Old Young. So if you like some good old fashioned <laughs> literature, I highly recommend you check out Alyssa Sharpentier. That's C-H-A-R-P-E-N-T-I-E-R. Yes, it's French. Don't don't sue me for the mispronunciation. <laughs> well, my my surname Marchand is French too, and nobody in my family can agree on how to say it. So I know what you mean. There you go. <laughs> I actually I'm also thought, on I YouTube. Actually, I did actually think for a hot second that it was actually pronounced Carpentier, and you told me that I'm not too far off. So <laughs> not too far off, indeed. Yep. And also, you can find me on on YouTube at basically this username, but Taco and Alyssa on front. <laughs> Alyssa Goji Geek 101, where yes. I do deep dive and analysis videos on Godzilla, the themes, and the characters. Which Boom. is why I wanted you on today, because you like there you, go. you like intelligent d uh, discussions of these movies. So I try. <laughs> <laughs> I do my best. I think you did well today, I have to say. Thank I've been wanting you. to have you on the show for a while. So I need I well, just like you, you know what? I need an excuse. Let's bring her on for this. And Absolutely. although given how well it went today and your love of hetera. Well, let's yeah, just say once I get around to that, you may have to come back. <laughs> you might, you might, you might say, and yet another one. <laughs> this is also true. This is also true. And actually, <laughs> you have, uh, you also have an author YouTube channel as well. So there's the Godzilla themed one, and then there's you have an author one as well. And then I have my my music one because I yes. just have three, and I'm just losing my mind of all the stuff I have. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, Jimmy, I know something that her and I have in common because I do a million things too. <laughs> <laughs> so I have, I have the Goji Geek, I have Elysium, and then I have Alyssa Sharpentier, which is the, the pen name. So you mm -hmm. can follow all three if you want and mm -hmm. knock yourselves out. Mm -hmm. And you're going to be at G-Fest this year, tabling. Absolutely. And paneling too. Yes, paneling. Yes, that uh, might have been my doing. So. <laughs> Uh, right. <laughs> yes. I don't know if yep. I can share details of that yet, but her and I and several other very cool people, some of whom you've heard on this show, will be paneling together. 
Heck yeah. Once the details have been finalized, you will know. You will know. But yes, come see all of us, both of us. I should say, I almost said all of us. That would have been a little confusing. <laughs> I contain multitudes. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> but yeah. It's cool. all the characters you write. They're just different personalities. They're just, you are just different people now. You're a bunch of them. Welcome to the writer's life. Anyway, uh, yeah. <laughs> most people wouldn't last five minutes in, in a writer's brain. No. <laughs> but no. 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 Uh, come see the both of us and a bunch of other really cool people at G-Fest this year. It's making its triumphant return, and I can't wait to go. <laughs> Heck yeah. And it'll be your first time, actually. Yes. So this will be interesting, because it's at a new location and everything. Anyway, I'm done talking about G-Fest. <laughs> <laughs> we could talk a long time about it. Thank you once again, Alyssa, for joining us. And uh, I look forward to seeing you at G-Fest and on the show again sometime. And meanwhile... Well, thank you yeah, for having me. I'll have, my pseudo, yeah. I'll have my pseudo sister, Jessica, give you a nice tour of the island. Nice. Mm -hmm. Much appreciated. You are welcome. Thank you for having me. And thank you too, Jimmy. <laughs> oh, Yes. I hope you're at G-Fest too. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Someone's got to stay behind to take care of the island, you know, to take care of That's things here true. on the island very, at the very studio. Good point. Yeah. So good point. can't promise that he'll make it, but you know, we'll see what happens. He'll we'll be there in spirit. Yeah. Very much. So. Where it counts. Very much so. All right. But speaking of Jimmy, Hey, intrepid producer, cue the credits. Thank you for listening to the Monster Island Film Vault, a podcast produced and hosted by Nate Marchand. If you want to join the discussion and be heard on the show, we'd love to hear from you. So email us at feedback at monsterislandfilmvault.com. Our website is monsterislandfilmvault.com. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Monster Island Film Vault and on Twitter, where our handle is at TheMonsterIsla1. You can subscribe to us on YouTube, Spotify, and TikTok. Follow Jimmy from NASA on Twitter at NASA Jimmy and our many other colorful characters using the links in the show notes. The podcast logo was created by Tyler Souls from TylerDrawsComics.com. Our theme song is Wanderer on the Offensive, live edit by B33J, Serax, Juan Madrano, and Nonsensical Lexus, which is a remix of Counterattack, Battle with the Colossus, and the Opened Way, Battle with the Colossus, by Koatani from the video game Shadow of the Colossus. All film and audio clips belong to their respective copyright holders, and no infringement is intended or implied. Please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and or Podchaser to spread the word about the show. You can also support us by joining MIFV Max on Patreon. The Monster Island Film Vault is a Moonlighting Ninjas Media production. Sayonara! What a day. I never would have thought I'd have to go digging as much as I would to find sources on 20 million miles to Earth. I seriously need to tell the librarian to add the Harryhausen books. How are they not in the collection? Out of print or not, they need them. Winter should allocate more money to the library. It's better than trusting Jimmy's so-called first-hand experience with wild emirs. Anyway... I better lock up. Staying late is a favor given to almost no one else on the island. Hold on. 
Someone sitting on a chair over there in the dark? Is it one of Winter's goons? Okay, play it cool, walk to him casually, and take him out. I never thought scheduling Michael and Travis for the same episode to talk Harryhausen would be so difficult. Maybe I should hike him up! Ow! Kirk Fu, Marchin Son, hardly the best way to take out an intruder. Oh, Jimmy's been giving me lessons the last few months since. Hold on! Ozaki? Is that you? Hi. How long have you been sitting there? Three hours. Why? You kept me waiting. Have I seriously been here that long? Yes, I haven't seen such focus since I served with my friend Kazama. I don't deserve that compliment for several reasons. Anyway, what are you doing sneaking into the library? You're AWOL! I am, because trying to locate the blob led me to dangerous secrets. Explain yourself. Well, I went to the beach at 0300 a few weeks ago. Like my squad mate Matsuoka reported, a helicopter landed there and picked up a man carrying a briefcase and his two bodyguards. Who were they? I don't know. I couldn't see their faces. I suspected they were the same ones who stole pieces of the blob and smuggled them out. I tried to call Captain Gordon to report this, but I was attacked by one of Winter's cyberflies. I smashed. Of course you did, you dragon ball and badass. I don't know what that is. As I was saying, my phone was destroyed by the cyberfly, so I couldn't report in. I swam after the helicopter until I reached the beta site. You seriously did that? Yes. Okay, Snake Eyes. Uh, who? Never mind. Well, unfortunately, I was attacked by more cyberflies when I reached the shore. They injected me with a drug that even my mutant body couldn't resist. When I woke up, I was deep in the Monster Island jungle. Minya nearly stepped on me. <laughs> that would have been an embarrassing way to go. I've been laying low ever since. Something's happening on the beta site, and whoever's behind it is hell-bent on keeping it secret. You don't say! I'll give you three guesses who it is, and the first two don't count! Uh, then why not give me one guess? It's a dumb figure of speech anyway, but I bet money it's the new boss. Winter? Given what I have read in this file, it's possible. But we can't be sure. No, obvious plot twist is obvious, man. Ugh, all right. I want to call the legal action team, but the fewer people who know about this, the better. Exactly. Besides, this is hardly anything to go on. Winter will probably just say the cyberflies mistook you for an intruder while on patrol. And despite Raymond's confidence, Winter's lawyers will sandbag him harder than New Orleans during hurricane season. Then we need to gather enough evidence for Phoenix Wright to make a case. You know about him, but not the characters I referenced? Oh, I play video games sometimes. Were you able to deliver the letter I left to you to give to Captain Gordon? Sadly, no. Winter's been keeping us both busy. Then I will return to my duties tomorrow and do it myself. All right. We better tell Jimmy. I think he's spending the night in his garage. Then, as fun as a slumber party with a living anime character would be, you better get to the mutant's barracks. Duly noted. Let's go. Let's go.